It's a popular saying that dogs are a man's best friend, but I don't think that's because of how excited they get when we return home or the cheerful-looking, smiling faces they have when you play catch. I think we ultimately have that saying because of the darker part of the relationship between dogs and humans, the protective nature they feel toward their owners, and the distress they feel when we're not around. In fact, a study conducted by Arizona State University took 19 dogs in a study in which their owner was under duress in a box with a door that could be nudged open by the canines and had the owner call out for help. Six of the dogs successfully released their owner. Still others tried, but were unable to figure out how to nudge the door open. Nearly all the dogs were distressed whining and barking in their attempts at rescue. Certain breeds of dogs, in terms of protection, could be considered better than nearly any other form of protection, whether for raising an alarm or for going after someone attempting to cause harm. For dogs, their owner is their person, someone who needs to be cared for. In still other studies, scientists have found that dogs go through a range of emotions when we aren't around. They will mope and mourn, sometimes going on hunger strikes when you go on vacations. Other stories tell of dogs that have mourned their owners who have passed. One particular story from Japan tells of Hachiko, who used to meet his owner every day at the train station to walk home together. When his owner passed, Hachiko continued to go every single day to the train station looking for his owner. This was an act he did for 10 years. You've also likely seen the images of soldiers who return home who were in charge of a canine, and the dog will lie down right before the coffin, still faithful. It's both of those characteristics that were observed by responding EMS in two German shepherds found at a crime scene on December 12, 2012. No matter what EMS tried, the dogs were fiercely protecting the body of a woman, face down, in a puddle of blood, on the paved walking path in White River Trail at the edge of IUPUI campus in Indianapolis, Indiana. This is the case of Sharice Walker Bingham. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping to keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. 
So Sharice Walker, who we're talking about this week, she was the youngest of three children. She had two older brothers and a very large extended family, all of whom she was close to. And Sharice herself was a caretaker. She loved doing everything that she could to take care of her mom when her mom grew ill, of helping out other family members. And although Sharice was described as reserved, people were drawn to her because of her kindness, yes, but also because of this drive and work ethic that she had. Yeah, she seems very driven. I know, especially being the baby, sometimes that's not the the characteristics they have, you know, to be the caregiver. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, that's the Mm -hmm. oldest. Right. But growing up, she was involved in athletics in school, and she was popular among her classmates, and she was also beautiful, Maggie. And I know it's cliche. Mm -hmm. I know we've said it a bajillion times before, but in every picture that I have seen of her, her joy just radiates from her face. I love the people that their happiness when they smile, you know, reflects in their eyes. Like you can tell how happy they are. Mm -hmm. It just, the smile seems genuine and not, Mm -hmm. I'm smiling for a camera, you know. She was also, and this makes sense since you know, obviously from the intro, that she owned at least two dogs as Mm -hmm. an adult. But she was always drawn to animals, especially German shepherds. And she always has been, since she was a young girl, also very good at training them. I am not. super stubborn. Yeah. I'm just not a good dog trainer mom. Oh, I'm a pushover. And they yeah. know, like, they know it. Anthony yep. does the majority of the training. I'm like, come to me to give loves. Right. Or you'll be like, roll over and I'll give you this treat. And they just stand there looking and give you a kiss on the hand. And you're like, okay, you get it anyway. Okay, here's your treat. Yeah. <laughs> right. There you go. But Charisse's aunt, Deborah McMurray, said in an interview with True Crime Daily that when Charisse was about nine or ten, she had a German shepherd named Cruiser. And Charisse would make the dog pretty much do anything at that young age. And Mm. Cruiser never left her side. So naturally, when she gets older, she's like, I have to keep a dog like this near me. Exactly. Yeah. So even when you you got it, when she grew older and Cruiser was replaced with other dogs, she still had that skill at training, especially German Shepherds. Those were the dogs that she was drawn to. And at the time of her death, she had two German Shepherds, one named Mayday and the other named Tsunami. Those are good names for German Shepherds, I feel mm-hmm. like. Those two dogs were Fierce protectors of her, which we'll talk a little bit more about in just a moment when I tell you about the crime scene. But these dogs, Maggie, I have to tell you, in general, were ones that even her family were on edge when they were around, when Mm -hmm. they would come to visit Charisse, especially if she had to leave the room or something during the visit. I mean, even people who knew her were freaked out. (laughs) My mom had a, obviously this is much smaller than a German Shepherd, but she had a Jack Russell Terrier Mm -hmm. and his name was Rusty and he very much was dedicated to her, like loved her 
mm-hmm. more than anybody else. Like, he bit my dad on the nose once when my dad, like, bent down to talk to my mom when she was oh, sitting on the couch. No. And then Anthony was so scared of him that he would crawl. If Rusty was on the driver's side outside his car, he would, like, crawl to the passenger side and go <laughs> out that way. <laughs> and he was, you know, a super tiny dog. But I get right. it. They can make you nervous oh, yeah. when they're that dedicated to one person. Mm-hmm. And Sharice's brother... Even said that it made him nervous to get too close when he would come to see his sister. He told Russ McQuaid of Fox 59, quote, I've been over to her house a couple times and I told her to put them dogs up. She said I'd be all right, but I was still scared. The way they looked at you and walked around you, I didn't want her to leave the room. You could not get near her without her putting the dogs on a leash or she'd tell them to come by her and stand by her. You had to know her personally and the dog to even touch her, end quote. Which makes me curious, and I know you'll talk about it, but how she could have been attacked with them with her. Yes, that is definitely something that we're going to talk about. And, you know, you've got to think, if the... If this is the way that people who likely saw Sharice on a semi-regular basis felt, imagine how you would feel if you were a stranger, like in the form of the EMS workers who were called to the scene, who were trying to approach Sharice. And of course, these dogs, they don't know these people from anybody and they don't understand their purpose. So they were protecting Sharice. Yeah, that would be a scary scene to walk up on. And while I don't know the exact time a call to 911 was made, EMS arrived at the White River Trail around 6.30 p.m. after a passing cyclist had called to report a body on the paved walking path lying face down in blood but even the cyclist couldn't get too close because the two dogs were nervously circling Sharice's body because they knew something was wrong mm-hmm. the cyclist told police that he had actually seen Sharice just minutes earlier he said that he had passed by Sharice on that walking path and Because he had just passed by her and had seen her walking, we assume that she had just begun to walk her dogs. But the cyclist reported that the dogs were actually off leash because Sharice had the leash kind of slung around her neck. And but, you know, she's good at training dogs and she Mm -hmm. I'm sure knew that they would listen to her commands because he said when he passed by His words were that Sharice had had to corral the dogs around her. So I'm guessing it's similar to what her brother said when she would say, hey, get over here, sit, you know, and of course they they listen. So I have a feeling that it was something like that interaction that happened when the cyclist passed the first time. But when he came back through the area again, just minutes later, that's when he discovered Sharice face down with the dogs on edge. That was the exact scene that EMS saw when they arrived. So while at 6.30 p.m. in December, it's already dark, 
they could still see a large amount of blood that was underneath Sharice's body. But anytime EMS tried to get close enough to Sharice to find the cause, to check her vitals, the dogs would, in their words, quote, act aggressively to anyone who got close. And So I wonder how they even got to her. Did they have to subdue the dogs? Were they like tranquilized or something? They actually were. Um, so, wow. I mean, however you want to view it, the dogs, either as aggressive or just protective in this situation, it was clear that absolutely nothing was going to happen while the dogs mm-hmm. were on the scene. So they had to call the Indianapolis Animal Control to come in and help. And they did end up having to tranquilize the dogs to remove them from the scene so that they could finally get in to check on Sharice. And so they can't even get close enough to her to see if she's dead at this point no. or just injured. Nope. Wow. Yeah. Not until the dogs were removed. Once they were able to get to her, they rolled her over, but maybe because of the all the layers that she had on, because remember this is December in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. they weren't able to initially determine where all of the blood yeah. was coming from. Um, They were able to see some items that were around her body, which I'll tell you about in just a second. And those items told them this could be a potential crime scene. So they decided, even though they had rolled her over to check her vitals, that they weren't going to move her anymore until law enforcement got there. But they did, when they checked her vitals, find that Sharice had passed and they pronounced Sharice Walker Bingham deceased at 7.15 p.m. And you know, a lot of the cases we cover, the EMTs don't really think about that kind of thing. Like this could Mm -hmm. be a, you know, potential crime scene. Right. So I know they get caught up and their adrenaline's pumping too and they're Mm -hmm. doing their job, but it's nice that they, you know, step back from that for a second and realize there could be more happening than what is initially meeting the eye. Exactly, exactly. And not long after Maggie, police arrived to begin their investigation. Now, because the death occurred on what is considered state park property, the jurisdiction actually fell to the Indiana State Police Mm. rather than local authorities. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And here is what they found at the scene of the crime. So, you know, I said there were some things around her body. Uh, Those items that were around her, and there were several, included her driver's license, which obviously made identification easy for authorities, a pair of gloves, an Indiana firearms carry permit, a 25 caliber handgun that was registered to Sharice and an open flip phone that was beeping to signal a low battery. Did we say what year we're in? 2012. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking, you know, why are all these items scattered around her body? Versus in her pockets. Had Mm -hmm. she been mugged? 
Was she, did something happen and was she desperately reaching for something like her phone to call for help and then everything else had fallen out of her pockets in the process? Why are all of these items surrounding her? What they could determine, however, was the cause of death at this point. A single gunshot wound to the chest. Was it her own gun? We will get to that. The casing and the gun, along with other items around her body, were taken from the scene as evidence. Now, at this point, would this would normally be what has to, in my mind, be the worst part of the job for law enforcement when they oh, were telling deaths. the family. Yeah, notifying the family. But law enforcement actually didn't have to seek out immediate contacts in Sharice's case because Sharice's husband of 28 years, Eugene, came to them walking right up to the officers at the scene at 11.23 p.m. That's a little sus. Okay, well, we'll talk about it. He said that he came out looking for his wife because he woke up from having fallen asleep on the couch while he was watching an NBA game. And when he woke up, it was around 9.30, and he noticed that Sharice wasn't home yet. And he said this was completely out of character for her because she was a creature of habit. And while she had only had her current job at the Gatorade bottling plant for just a short time, she'd already found a routine there as well. So on nights like this one, when she was to work the night shift, she had to be at work by 10.30 p.m. So she had to leave the house by 10 Oh, yeah. So if he wakes up at 930, she should be there you know, exactly. getting ready to leave. Mm -hmm. So her kind of normal routine is after dinner, she would exercise, shower, walk the dogs before gathering everything that she needed for work and heading out the door. So like you just said, when he woke up around 930 and he realizes mm, Charisse isn't home, he started to worry that something had happened. Right. So all of this is it's kind of making sense, right? Yeah. Why he would have shown up. Yeah, we can so, justify it. Yeah. He said that he tried to call her cell phone from his home phone and she didn't answer. But that detail alone, he said, didn't make him grow any more concerned because and I get remember, this is 2012. So it is a different time. He said that Sharice would normally keep her phone turned off and she would only turn it on when she needed to make a call from it. I kind of wish I could be like that and just completely disconnect. I know that would be nice. So he told police that, you know, then he thought back to the last conversation he had with Sharice when she told him that she was going to take the dogs for a walk. And he said that he had asked her where she was going to walk them because apparently she, again, she's a creature of habit. There were three normal spots where she would take the dogs for a walk and she would kind of alternate between those three places. So, so was where she was found one of those three places? It was one of those three places. Okay. So he reported that, you know, when he said, you know, where are you going to walk the dogs? That she said something like, wherever my car takes me. 
and then had left. So he told law enforcement that he tried to call Sharice again, even though she hadn't answered the first time. This time he tried from his cell phone. And then he decided to come out and look for her. You know what, though? 2012 does not seem like that long ago. But then I'm thinking about if this was me instead mm-hmm. of Sharice. Mm-hmm. Like, Anthony would have obviously called my cell phone, which I would have had on because we all do. Mm-hmm. And then if I didn't answer or if I had told him wherever my car takes me, he would just pull up the app for my car and uh, right. see where it's parked. Right. Or he would just track me with the, yeah. what you call it, app and know exactly yeah. where I was. So yeah, things are just so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So he told law enforcement that when he went out to look for Sharice, he had actually gone to the other two locations first and not finding her at either of those. He had come to the third and final normal place. And when he arrived, he actually saw, because remember, this is at 1123 p.m. Mm-hmm. Right, The call to 911 came in at 630. So when he got there, he saw crime scene tape around her vehicle Uh, and so he knew something was horribly wrong and that was why he said he had approached the officers so maybe it's not as sus as what it initially felt like i will leave my comments for later okay maybe i'll come back to that (laughs) put a pen in it maggie yeah My daughter and I love smoothies, but what we don't love are smoothie bar prices. With our Blinja 2 Portable Blender, we can make smoothie bar quality drinks for a fraction of the price. Blinja 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. And it's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Even better, Blinja 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. Plus, it lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C. You guys have heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. Best of all, the Blinja 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. Plus, they have so many trendy colors to choose from. The hardest decision will be which design you want to rock. Plus, we want to introduce you to the Orbiter Drinking Lid. The Orbiter Drinking Lid balances a leak-proof design with one-hand use convenience and a modern minimalist design. The Orbiter Drinking Lid is super easy to use. You only need one hand. Blendjet's patent-pending design allows you to open and drink by simply rotating the lid with your thumb. Just when we thought the Blendjet 2 couldn't get any better, it did. Now, you can blend anywhere without spilling everywhere. So what are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code COFFEEINCASESBLEND12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to Blendjet.com and use the code COFFEEINCASESBLEND12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. 
coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know that dehydration is the leading cause of daytime fatigue? I was shocked to learn that even mild dehydration can cause headaches, muscle weakness, and brain fog. But luckily, there's a solution. Cure. Cure believes that hydration should be simple and effective, but also clean and natural. That's why they use only the highest quality plant-based ingredients and avoid any artificial and harmful additives. They're committed to transparency and honesty. All of their ingredients are clearly listed on their website and packaging, and they're always happy to answer any questions or concerns. Ready to combat dehydration? Try Cure today and feel the difference for yourself. Use code COFFEEINCASES for 20% off your order. Of course, we are only hours into the investigation. So law enforcement is still trying to piece together a timeline as well as to figure out theories as to what might have happened because they started canvassing the area and no witnesses came forward that they had seen anything that was out of the ordinary and no witnesses that they could find had even heard a gunshot. So the cyclist who passed her when we mm-hmm. think she first started walking, I wonder how far away he could have been from her to turn around and see her not long after. Would I he know. have been out of earshot of that? I'd really doubt it. I know. But maybe, I mean, this is, I did read that this walking path, it's near roadways. And oh. it is a popular walking spot because it's near the Indiana University, Purdue University of Indianapolis. <laughs> I think that's what it's called. Uh, campus. So a lot of students would walk it. And so it could have been just, you know, you heard a noise and because it only happened once, you kind of brushed it off mm-hmm. as, yeah. oh, you know, maybe a car had a flat tire or, you know, something. Mm-hmm. So when responders arrive around 630, they weren't even sure until they spoke with the cyclist if Sharice had just begun her walk, if she was finishing her walk. So they're really trying to figure out how long has she been here, right? What are the events that happened just before? So again, police are trying to figure out the timeline. So they actually, I mean, here's her husband, ask him, what time did Sharice leave your home? And Mm -hmm. they found out that the couple's home was about three miles away. So roughly an eight minute drive. It was on Kessler Boulevard North. And he told them, well, I was just getting ready to watch the Miami Heat Golden State Warriors NBA game. It had just come on as Sharice was leaving. But there's a slight problem with this claim of a timeline, Maggie. Oh, did the game start at a different time than the, like, they arrived on the scene or the witness yeah. made the 911 call? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The NBA game didn't come on 
until around 7.30. And he's saying she left when the game had just come on, but Sharice's body had been found an hour before Eugene said he last saw his wife. So maybe he is a little sus. Right. But at this point, you know, one could chalk up that mistake to Eugene being disoriented. I mean, this is devastating news. Yeah. That he has just heard about his wife's death. So maybe he he's not thinking clearly. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt for right now. Momentarily. Yeah. Two days later, the coroner's report stated that the cause of death, as was previously discussed, was a gunshot wound to the chest, though the distance at which the shot had come was as yet undetermined. And that wasn't the only thing undetermined. So was the manner of death. So right now, without solid proof of a murder, even though the EMTs are saying, you know, we don't want to move her body because this looks like mm -hmm. it could be a crime scene, it would be impossible to deem Sharice's death a homicide without that solid proof. Oh, right. Because it could have been a suicide because she had a gun. Mm -hmm. It could have been an accident. Exactly. And uh, even with those two possibilities, it's impossible to rule those as the manner of death either because again we don't have solid proof so the coroner's report lists the manner of death as undetermined now i'm going to do something a little bit different because normally i tell you and tell you and tell you about the stories and then we get into the theories at the end but i'm actually going to go ahead and tell you or have us talk about anyway the theories now and then I'll tell you a little bit more about the case, because these were the theories that police were working through during the investigation. Right. And I guess, depending on the theory you take, could change the way you view certain things about the case. Correct. So theory number one was suicide. One of the lead detectives on the case, Detective Norvell, stated that they actually initially considered the suicide theory. This, of course, was a theory that even from the very beginning, Charisse's family completely denied as a possibility. They argued that Charisse loved life. She had just recently started this new job. She had joined a new church, the New Haven Missionary Baptist Church, and she was thriving. And Sharice's husband, Eugene, also stated that Sharice would never have taken her own life. He also said that Sharice was happy, and he noted that the two of them, actually, had just joined a new church and had even both been rebaptized. Okay, so no telltale signs that there was any indication of suicide, but that's not always, you know, 100%. Right. D determinant of that. Right. Now, in this particular case, soon, though, evidence did seem to mount up to indicate that Sharice's loved ones were correct, that mm -hmm. suicide was far from likely. So while they actually didn't check Sharice's hands for gunpowder residue, which I would think would have been a test 
because yeah, especially if they are considering suicide yeah it would be an easy way to determine that but they did not um they did though have plenty of other reasons to support their conclusion and here were what some of those reasons were some of the evidence Number one, when law enforcement checked Sharice's vehicle, she had actually placed an anti-theft mechanism on the steering wheel. Mm. And I don't know if this kind of forethought to protect personal items would matter if someone planned to not return to get that item. Right? Like, why would you put that on your wheel of your vehicle if you were planning on committing suicide? Or, I mean, I guess it could be looked at at the other angle as well. Maybe she thought it could be a while before she was discovered on this trail, so she didn't want somebody to steal her car that her husband could use. But then again, like, why would you put that much planning into it? So, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. A second reason is that when her clothing was checked, they found snacks in her pockets Hmm. of the coveralls. So, again, now she had borrowed these coveralls from her husband, Eugene, But again, if one planned on taking one's life, I'm somehow doubting that they would pack a snack for the walk. Like I said, I don't know if that were her plan. Right, if she would have them. Exactly. But the dogs themselves are the biggest reason why suicide was eliminated as a theory. After all, it was said that because Sharice never had any children, that she loved these dogs as if they were Mm. her children. So if she were going to take her own life, she most definitely would not have taken her babies to a public place off leash where something bad could happen to them. And then, of course, commit this act in front of them. Right, knowing that they're going to protect her body fiercely when people Mm -hmm. come to the scene. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. part doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And if you were going to come here to for that purpose, why do it in a public place on a fairly Mm. heavily trafficked trail where somebody could try to stop you or even save you? Right. Good point. Yeah. And besides, if this were a suicide... Why would her personal items have been strewn about her body as if she had emptied her pockets? And why would her phone now be open and beeping as if she had tried to turn it on to call for help? Oh, right. Because it's usually off. So Mm -hmm. even if it was laying near her, if it was Mm -hmm. a suicide, it would have still been off. Right. And sadly, even though the coroner was able to determine that Sharice lived roughly seven minutes after being shot. She wasn't able to make whatever phone call she may have been attempting. And I, I also don't think if this were a suicide that, and this is just my gut. I don't think that the gunshot wound would have been to the chest, but rather to the head. Oh, I'm sure that there's data that shows the likelihood of it happening in the head or, you know, the chest or whatever. There is. According to the Journal of Forensic Sciences, 75% of all suicidal gunshot wounds are to the head. And a lot of the ones that fall outside of that percentage are because the guns are Mm -hmm. longer. Right? Right. So... At this point, they're like, you know what? There are too many reasons why 
suicide doesn't seem likely. Yeah, I kind of agree as well. Mm -hmm. Theory number two is an accident. When he was asked what he believed may have happened to Sharice, Sharice's husband, Eugene, said he believed that it could possibly have been an accident. He said that since the overall Sharice was wearing actually were his, he knew that she wouldn't have been able to carry her gun. And that that was something that she commonly carried on her person. She carried Mm -hmm. her her gun in its little protective pouch. But he said, you know, these were my overalls. So I know that she wouldn't have been able to carry the gun in the side pockets because the side pockets at the hip had holes in them. So she would have had to carry the gun in the chest pocket of the overalls. And remember, she's shot in the chest. But, okay, so even if we're saying... Like, I don't know, the dog jumped on her. And then the when gun... that is one of the things that he suggested. I mean, he theorized that maybe one of the dogs jumped. But, okay, obviously I'm not a skilled gunman. I've been shooting like three times. And it scares me every time. So I pull the trigger like three times and I'm done. But the times that I have, it is not, maybe it's just me. Maybe I need to go to the gym. But <laughs> it is not easy to pull a trigger. Right. And that is actually, Maggie, an excellent point that we're going to talk about here in about two minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Look at me. So, I know. He, at this point, is theorizing, though. And he says, you know, maybe one of the dogs jumped up on her and somehow, you know, claw, paw, whatever, had hit the trigger and the gun had discharged killing her besides he recalled that not long before her death the two of them had actually gone to a shooting range together to practice shooting because you see initially eugene had a 25 caliber sterling automatic but he ended up purchasing an identical gun for sharice And even though he told police that he was the one who cared for and cleaned the guns all the time, because I guess he said, well, Sharice wasn't interested in that. I'm the one Mm -hmm. who cleans the guns all the time. Apparently, according to his memory, they would go shoot them together at the shooting range. So he said while they were at the range, her gun had actually jammed. And as a result... Sharice had told him that she planned to start carrying one bullet in the chamber. And he had told her at the time that was a bad idea because it's an accident waiting to happen. Especially for someone who, according to Eugene, was already an accident-prone person like Sharice. So that was the explanation that Eugene gave as to why maybe it would have been easier for the gun to have discharged if I had one in the chamber. But it also kind of conveniently covers Eugene when Sharice's gun was tested and it actually didn't hold any usable prints. There were no usable prints that were on the gun that was found near her body. And I don't know if that's because it had been wiped down if it's because guns are notoriously hard 
to get usable prints mm -hmm. off of because the grips usually have some sort of pattern in it or design in them so it's harder to get a print off of that but the gun did contain eugene's dna well he oh. says well of course it did right because he says i'm the one who cleaned the guns all the time i don't i just don't know about this accidental firing yeah okay so let's let's talk a little bit more about it then. So pause a little moment to explore the logistics of this accidental firing. It would seem to presume one of a handful of scenarios. First is that for some reason, for some reason, one of the dogs had turned and jumped with the paw landing just right on the overall pocket to fire the gun. Well, the problem there would, for me, is I don't see her dogs jumping, period. I don't either. I do not either. Because like you just implied, I mean, these are heavily trained dogs. And besides that, now's where I'm going to bring up your point about where you said you'd have to go to the gym to fire yeah. a gun because of the pressure. Testing was actually done on Charissa's 25 caliber. And they found that the trigger required 10 pounds of pressure in order to fire, which is on the heavier end of the scale mm. for how hard you have to pull the trigger. And while it's not unheard of for there to be an accident, like a dog jumping and causing a gun to go off, like we just said, it is highly unlikely for highly trained dogs to react in that mm -hmm. way. Right. So one would think, though, that if this scenario happened, at least in my mind, the gun wouldn't now be outside of her pocket. Yeah. Unless like if she it came out when she fell. Right. I guess it could have. But she, I still don't see that because she landed on her chest. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it would be underneath her. Right. Another theory that Eugene proposed was that, you know, maybe Sharice had been walking the dogs and had slipped on some ice. And when she fell, the gun had discharged. And that, you know, here it is in her front pocket, right? And if she falls on her chest, it shoots. And that's what happened. Okay, but now why is it beside of her? Exactly. Yeah. So, well, he's thinking, this is what he speculates. Remember, the they were able to determine that she actually lived for roughly seven minutes after the shot. So, so he's, he's thinking, thinking she got her phone out to try to right. call for help. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. when she pulled her phone out, everything else came out. And that's why it's all lying around her. Maybe she managed to get the phone turned on but then wasn't able to make a call. Okay. A third possibility along the lines of this accidental theory is that maybe Sharice had, for some reason, pulled the gun out of her pocket. So maybe something or someone had scared her and she wanted to feel safer by having the weapon ready and in her hand and then obviously anything could have happened like maybe she's holding the gun in her hand somehow the 
dog leash got tangled in it, right? And she's trying to get it loose. And as she's trying to get it loose, it somehow accidentally fires. Okay, maybe. Now, you may be wondering, since I'm mentioning this theory of her having the gun ready. Right. Whether Sharice would be jumpy enough to have pulled out a gun in a public place. And I do not have an answer for that question because I don't know how she was, you know, normally on a day-to-day basis. What I will say is that Sharice's aunt, Deborah, told True Crime Daily that in the days leading up to her death, she had told her aunt that she believed someone was following her. Interesting. Someone driving a blue blazer and that Sharice was growing increasingly concerned. So Hmm. could Sharice have had something scare her and she drew the gun for protection right before, you know, maybe a tragic accident? Potentially. I almost think that idea of someone following her could also play into a theory of homicide, though. Yes. And that is what I want us to talk about next, because theory three is homicide. Now, with homicide, you know, obviously there are different paths that that could take. Um, One is that it was a stranger committing the crime. Um, Because she believed that she was being followed. But the stranger theory actually seems unlikely for one singular reason. And that is the dogs. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I don't think it could be somebody that she didn't know. It would have to be someone who the dogs would not attack if Mm -hmm. they got near her. I mean, she had to tell them, you know, like, hey, come to me, sit down, when a cyclist passed by who wasn't even looking in her direction. Mm -hmm. So imagine if someone was trying to attack her. Yeah. Or even she had to say that stuff when her family would come to visit. Yeah. So it seems unlikely, if not impossible, for a complete stranger, especially if that stranger had something of a threatening posture, Mm -hmm. to have gotten close enough to shoot her without the dogs attacking. So law enforcement actually checked local clinic and hospital records for the day of Sharice's death, as well as the days following, just to see if anyone had come in for treatment from a dog attack. Huh, interesting. Mm -hmm. But no such records were located. Hmm. So if this is a homicide, either the perpetrator didn't get treatment you know, maybe they did something else to scare the dogs away momentarily. I don't know what that would be, but I that also seems unlikely, especially if they're highly mm-hmm. trained. Or the crime was committed by someone else the dogs knew and trusted intimately. Someone like Charisse's husband, Eugene. So, I want to talk about him for a little bit. It turns out that the timeline that didn't even come close to Mm -hmm. being accurate wasn't the only weird thing that turned suspicions toward Eugene. They were initially upset, the family was, that Eugene didn't call and tell them about Sharice's death until the next day. 
so sh- this could have already been on the news. Mm-hmm. And it was. So her family wondered, you know, why hadn't he been insistent on contacting us as soon as he mm-hmm. found out the news himself? Yeah, because it would be horrible to find that out through a news station coverage. Yes. So Sharice's family, they also grew suspicious of Eugene when they noticed what they felt was odd behavior at Sharice's funeral. Her Aunt Deborah recalls how overly talkative Eugene was, which they said was not in his character. And even the pastor of the church, who even as he was saying this, admitted that he understands that everybody grieves in their own way. Right. But he mentioned that it had alarmed him at the lack of emotion that Eugene seemed to convey, that he was almost stoic. Hmm. And Charisse's homegoing service was held on December 22nd, 2013, one day before what would have been her 52nd birthday. And I think that would make it even more emotional. hmm Yeah. So while the family, they initially treated Eugene as a mourner of the loss, just like they were, Sharice's brother Keith said that he even called Eugene every day at the beginning just to check on him. Aww. Law enforcement were beginning to piece together tips coming in that already had them questioning. Well, I'm interested to hear what you're going to say because, you know, it seems everybody really loved her, this caregiver and, you know, woman that really just loved life. So I would be interested to see what type of relationship they had. We're about to go on a roller coaster. So one element that had police questioning was that the night of Sharice's death, a story aired on the news concerning a body that had been found on White River Trail that had been protected by two dogs. That news story led to two actions that we need to discuss. One of those is that someone called Animal Control shortly after the dogs were taken there to ask about them and to inquire about adopting them since the caller had just heard that their owner, Sharice, had been, quote, killed by her husband. And this is the same night that that her body was found? That was unclear in my research. I know that it, the result, They knew the dogs had been taken because of that news story. Okay. But I don't know if the phone call happened that same night, the next day, but I know it happened early on. Okay. So this caller says, I wanted to check on these two German shepherds because their owner, Charisse, I heard was killed by her husband. Okay. So we're thinking potentially this is just a rumor. Right. Yeah. and, And I think that's probably what most people were thinking is you know this is just speculation but the next tip that came also early in the investigation was a bombshell Mm. that seems to be the impetus behind any and all rumors that are in that rumor mill an anonymous caller told police 
that Eugene was having an affair. And not just that he was cheating, but that the affair had been going on for 14 years. Oh, my. And since this information could be potential motive for Sharice's death, they began looking into the claim. They asked family now if there was trouble in Sharice and Eugene's marriage. And there was. Because of the length of this episode, after Maggie and I had recorded it in its entirety, we made the executive decision that we wanted to split it into two separate episodes because we don't want you to get bogged down with the length of it that you miss out on key details that are in the second part or you get busy and have to stop the episode and then don't return to it because it is an important case and we do want you to hear it in its entirety and share about it. What we have decided to do differently than other times is to not wait an entire week between this first part of the episode and part two. So while you are getting part one today on your normal day for the podcast to release an episode, we are going to release part two tomorrow. So make sure you tune in to get that information. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. week.